Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. says, verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you might show us the greatness of Jesus Christ through the word. Lord, we uh, have heard all kinds of messages this week. The television has been preaching sermons to us. The advertisements in the magazines have been preaching sermons to us. Bumper stickers on cars have been preaching little sermons to us. Everywhere we go, Lord, the world is filling us with messages, but we know that none of these messages can bring us life. That is only your word spoken through the living Christ and through the word and the Holy Spirit that, that we can become alive. And so we come this morning, God, as people who've heard a lot of sermons this week and, and none of them did the trick. None of them gave us peace. None of them satisfied the deepest needs in our soul. And we come instead, Lord, to your word, not to hear a man speak, but to hear what your word has to say to our hearts. Because we know, Lord, that every time we've come to your word, we've gone away filled up with living water. And so, God, we pray, fill us up this morning. Speak to us from heaven. We pray that this, uh, at this time nobody would hear Jeremy speak, but people would hear Jesus speak, and that he would speak through his word to his flock. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there was a king who had two jesters. And to amuse himself, the king asked these two jesters uh, to perform a specific task. He said to the first jester, I want you to go out and I want you to find the best thing in the whole world. And then he said to the other jester, I want you to go out and find the worst thing in the whole world. And so these two jesters went forth and after some time they came back and the first jester said, Behold, O king, the best thing in the whole world. And he opened up a box and he pulled out a tongue. And then the second jester said, Behold, O king, the worst thing in the whole world. And he opened up a box and he pulled out a tongue. Or to put that truth another way, in Proverbs 12, 18, it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
Isn't it amazing how our words, our tongues, have such amazing power that with the same tongue we can either destroy or we can build up. A tongue can either bring condemnation or it can bring life. Our, our words have so much power and force. Uh, our words, our tongue, can either be the best thing in the world or it can be the worst thing in the world. Out of my one mouth can flow both living waters and toxic poisons. And it's amazing to me how that happens. The coach uh, during a football game knows this. You know, it's halftime, team's down, coach is with the team in the locker room. He's got five minutes before the team takes the field again. And he knows that what he says in those next five minutes can either galvanize the team and lead them to victory or totally uh, fail the team and they'll just go on to be beaten in the second half. The uh, crisis counselor who's on the crisis hotline at 2 in the morning talking to a person on the other end of the phone who's suicidal, that crisis counselor knows that words are critical. And then in the next few minutes, whatever she says could be literally life or death for the person on the other end of the line. Or your child comes home and they sheepishly show you their report card. You open it up. It's got some C's. There's a D and there's an F. You're going, oh, as a parent. And you know that what you say in the next minute to respond to that report card is going to set the trajectory for how this gets handled in your family. Our words are so powerful. Words can be the best thing in the world or they can be the worst thing in the world. It, it, our words are so critical. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, uh, it never really was insulted. <laughs> words are extremely painful and cutting. Or they can be incredibly life-giving. And so as Christians, as those of us who follow Jesus Christ, our words must be submitted to the power of God because they have such potential for either harm or good. And so as a Christian, God wants everything in my life. Jesus wants my money. Jesus wants my relationships. Jesus wants my body. He wants my time. And he wants my tongue. Jesus wants your words to be used for his purposes. And that's what our text is talking about this morning. This morning we're looking at chapter 4, verse 29. Uh, for those of you who are here the first time this morning, we're glad you're here. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians for several months now. And uh, today we come to verse 29. This is why it's taking several months, because we're doing like a verse a week. It says in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so once again, we have a negative command followed by a positive command. We have a prohibition followed by an injunction. The prohibition is don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But instead, as followers of Jesus Christ, only let words come out that are useful for building other people up. So let's look at each of those in turn. First of all, the negative, the, the, the prohibition. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now we've got to stop and ask the question, what does it mean, unwholesome talk? I mean, what is unwholesome talk? What does that word mean? Well, in Greek, that, that word unwholesome in English, in Greek is the word sapros. And sapros means rotting, decaying, uh, decomposing. It, you can talk about sapros fruit, rotting fruit, or a rotting fish, or a, a wall that's crumbling. You know, so, some old wall, like the walls we have around here in the woods, where it used to be a strong wall, but now it's starting to rot and crumble and it's falling apart. That's the idea of sapros. Jesus uses it when he says, a bad tree produces bad fruit. The, the idea is that the tree produces inedible fruit that's no good 
and it's just worthless and, and disgusting. And I think that really fits our context because if you look back at verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. So unwholesome is the opposite of helpful for building others up. So I, I think we're getting the whole picture now here. Unwholesome talk is any talk that destroys, tears down, ruins. Unwholesome talk is anything that rots instead of ripens people's hearts. Unwholesome talk is anything that nauseates the soul instead of nourishes the soul. It's whatever is worthless for helping people press on in their faith in Christ. So an unwholesome word would be something that pushes you the opposite direction from Jesus. It would be anything that pushes you away from faith and destroys your faith. That's unwholesome talk. Maybe we could uh, think of some examples of unwholesome talk. Uh, one might be what we could call uh, abusive or critical language. Slamming people. Here I'm thinking of cut-downs, put-downs, biting sarcasm, outright calling people names, insulting kind of speech. In fact, uh, look at your sermon notes, which is this little insert in your bulletin, if you all find this. Look on the front where it says, unwholesome talk. Proverbs 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but if the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so harsh, abusive, reckless words slam into a person like a wrecking ball. And rather than building them up, it tears people down. Uh, we have to be so careful of harsh words. And, and it happens so easily. You know, there's just this difference between saying to your child, uh, I wish you wouldn't have disobeyed me. Why did you do that? That's one thing. But it's another thing to say to a child, Why are you such a bad boy? Such a difference. It's subtle. But one is, is pointing out the problem. The other one is tearing down the person. <clears throat> it's one thing to say, I really need your help with the dishes tonight. Uh, yeah, for emphasis, honey. And I'm... Uh, <laughs> I really need your help with the dishes tonight. Could you help me clean this place up? I'm tired and I need you to do something and get off the couch. That's one thing. It's another thing to say, you are a lazy slob. <laughs> Difference. One is saying a legitimate complaint. I need you to do this. The other is saying, you are a lazy slob. Those kind of harsh, cutting, critical words can destroy a spirit. We have to be so careful with our words. I, I'm really concerned as, as a parent that I not talk about my child negatively in front of other people. This is something that makes me cringe is when, when parents will be talking to another adult and they'll be lamenting their child's bad behavior this week. You know, we all have to talk about our parenting and we, we bounce it off our friends. But you're talking about what your kids did wrong and the kid's standing right there. I mean, that is so destructive to a child because the child's like, I did the crime, I did the time, and, uh, and now you're still beating on me. Do I ever get a break? Or am I just doomed to constantly have my, my failures and my sins broadcast before the whole world? And so it, it's very important that we beware of uh, destructive, what we might call abusive and condemning kind of speech. That's unwholesome talk because what it does is it just beats people down. It's not pointing out a problem that they might fix. It's just slapping them down with no hope and no future. That destroys faith in God. 
Another type of unwholesome speech besides abusive speech would be grumbling and complaining. That's another one the Bible harps on a lot. And I, I mean, let's be honest, we love to complain. Complaining is so satisfying, isn't it? We love to gripe, we love to complain, we love to fault find. Especially as New Englanders. I mean, this is a characteristic of being a Yankee, isn't it? We like to just grumble and crank about things. Uh, you know, if you're an optimist, the glass is half full. If you're a pessimist, the glass is half empty. And if you're a Yankee, the glass is half empty and leaking badly, right? <laughs> That's the New England kind of mindset. It's like, hmm, prove it. And sometimes we can get into that mindset. But the Bible has a lot to say about grumbling and complaining. Uh, again, take out your sermon notes. Look at grumbling and complaining. Philippians 2, third, third uh, text down. Philippians 2, 14 to 15. says, do everything, everything, without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, I went um, on a summer mission trip myself when I was in high school. Before my senior year, I, I went for two and a half months and uh, lived in Taiwan. And uh, we did evangelism in, in churches and things like that. It was a great experience. But one of the rules we had on our mission trip was we were never allowed to complain. That's one of the rules they gave us. I'll tell you, that was the hardest thing of that whole mission trip, was not complaining. Especially you go to a different culture, weird food, you know, strange times, your body's out of whack, and you just want to complain because it feels so good. But, you, you know, this is the amazing thing. By the end of the trip, I wasn't complaining anymore. You can actually stop complaining. In fact, I give you the, the no complaint challenge this week. I, I dare you to go this whole week without saying one griping word. I, you can do it. it. It's an amazing feeling. Might as well try it. You've never done it before. So, you know, <laughs> give it a shot. Try something new. Break out of your rut. Complaining is, is so, so satisfying, but it's so destructive to faith. And here's why. Here's why. Because complaining takes our eyes off of God and his ability to solve our problems. When I'm in a mindset of crum grumbling, griping, and complaining, I'm going the opposite direction of saying, yes, God can. When I'm sitting there and someone's griping and complaining to me, instead of my vision being lifted up to God's ability to solve problems and to do anything, instead that person is taking me by the nose and forcing me to look down at the mud and the muck and all of the problems. And, and I'm not saying that we should be Pollyanna and everything's fine and po power of positive thinking. I mean, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. What I'm saying, though, is that God is able. And that if we put our focus on God instead of on our problems, we're going to have faith not to, to ignore or minimize the problems, but to maximize God, what God can do, what God can do in our lives. And grumbling takes me away from that because it just focuses me on all the problems. Do you remember that's what happened in Israel? Remember Israel's history? God takes Moses. Remember the story? He leads the Israelites out of Egypt with many miracles. He leads them to Mount Sinai and he gives them the Ten Commandments and there's like thunder and lightning and God shows up on the mountain. Then God leads them through the desert with his very presence with a pillar of fire and a cloud. And, and he finally takes them to the edge of the promised land. And they get to the promised land. The spies go into the promised land. They come back and the spies go, oh boy, did we make a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, the promised land is great. It's flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants, and they have big walls, and, and big people. And we're never going to conquer the promised land. Why didn't we come into the desert? 
This was stupid. And there's only two spies out of the 12 who've got a, the minority report. Remember Joshua and Caleb. They're saying, well, yeah, there's giants, but we have God. So what are we worried about? Let's have faith in God. And the other 10 say, no, 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 no. Don't listen to those guys. And, and their grumbling infects the whole camp like a virus. And all of the Israelites, instead of believing God's promises, they, they turn into grumblers. In fact, let me just read. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read you from Numbers chapter 14. It says, That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's where grumbling had taken them. And what was God's response? Let me just read it to you in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long, here it is, will they refuse to believe me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them. God's point was that their grumbling was the opposite of faith. Their grumbling had taken their eyes off of him. That's the problem with grumbling and complaining. Not that we can't have a bad day and share it with each other, but a grumbling and complaining spirit takes a whole community's eyes off the Lord. Ten people brought a whole nation down with their lack of faith in God. So grumbling is an unwholesome type of speech. So we've talked about uh, abusive language as an example, grumbling. Maybe just one more before we move on. How about gossip? That's a destructive kind of speech. Again, I love gossip. Uh, gossip is, is just as yummy as grumbling. We all love gossip. You know, you're flipping through the channels and one of those uh, Hollywood gossip shows comes on. You know? Well, where was Brad Pitt? And, and who was he with? You know, we, we're, I don't know why we're interested in that kind of just worthless stuff, but for some reason it's, it's intriguing to hear all the dirt on everybody. We love gossip. It's just natural to us. But again, the Bible is very clear that gossip is, is destructive. Uh, look at your sermon notes. A perverse man stirs up dissensions, and a gossip separates close friends. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without, without gossip, a quarrel dies down. <clears throat> gossip is obviously destructive because if you find out about the gossip, your faith is going to be destroyed. It's going to be, you're going to stumble. Gossip is also destructive because if you tell me a juicy bit of gossip about him, then when I meet him, it's going to be difficult for me to come as a brother in the love of Christ because I'm going to have in the back of my mind this little tidbit and so as I'm talking to them, I'm going to have you know, sort of one eye open watching this person. It's going to be more to love them with the love of Christ. Gossip destroys the fellowship of a body. And we've talked before about our need in the body of Christ to deal directly with each other. And if I have a problem with you, let me talk to you, not to everybody else besides you. I need to deal with the person with whom I have a struggle. So gossip is a dangerous thing. I, I actually read a, an interesting uh, sort of what's called antidote to gossip or, or a way of managing gossip. And of all places, it was from the Rotary Club. But it, it was cool. Uh, it, it's, it's called the Three Gates. 
And the idea is that there are these three gates, and so if I have something that I want to share with you, my words have to pass through these three gates. And if they make it through, then it's okay to share it with you. But if they get stuck at either any of the gates, then don't say it. Uh, and so look at the bottom of your sermon notes. Here's the three gates. I thought this was really helpful. The gossip test, the three gates. Is the information I want to share with you, number one, true? Is it true? Do I know for certain that what I'm about to tell you is true, or is it just something I heard? I mean, how do I know? If it's not true, stow it. Number two, is the information I want to share with you necessary? Do you really need to hear it? Really? Is this something that you is necessary for you to hear specifically? Sometimes it is, but usually not. And then uh, number three, is it what I want to share with you kind? In other words, is it for a constructive purpose? Or is it just dirt to be spread around? And if what I want to say to you is true and necessary and kind, then go ahead and say it. And I, probably that would cut out a lot of the stuff that we tell each other about. Gossip is a destructive thing. We could think of more, couldn't we? Lying is destructive. Uh, foul, foul talk, uh, dirty language, dirty jokes. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about that tear down a person's faith. But Christ is calling us to put away unwholesome talk, to, to instead shift our lives and to submit our speech to him and to use our tongues for a different purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, let's look back at our verse, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but instead only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Rather than tearing people down, I'm to build people up with my speech. So this is a, an amazing shift, isn't it? That instead of focusing on me, I'm now focused on you. Instead of focusing on what I want to get off my chest, I'm now thinking, well, what is it that you really need to hear in order to be built up in your faith? It's a total reorientation. And in fact, we see this reorientation throughout the passage. Just a qu couple of quick for instances. Look back at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one body. There's a focus upon the community of faith. Or verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands. Here we go. That he may have something to share with those in need. The focus is on the community of faith. Or verse uh, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So becoming a Christian, being born again, becoming a new person in Christ, means that I shift my attention from me, my needs, my wants, to you and your needs. This is an amazing uh, 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 paradigm shift that we undergo when we become followers of Jesus Christ. And it applies to our speech as well. Now, I think this is so refreshing because speech in our culture today is all about me being heard. That, that's the emphasis of speech today. It's all about free speech. I'm going to say what I want, and nobody can tell me I can't say it. And artists want to be able to say what they want without being censored. I mean, that's the big enemy out there, censorship. Don't let anyone tell me I couldn't or shouldn't say what I want to say. This is the whole, I, I think, fuel behind talk radio. Uh, the last five, ten years, talk radio has become such an enormous part of our culture's um, uh, understanding and, and communication. But, you know, the premise behind talk radio is you say what you want to say. 
You can get on the radio and you can speak your piece and get it off your chest and everyone has a right to say their piece. It, yeah, you do have a right to say your piece. But as a Christian, we're not focused on our rights. We're focused on the needs of other people. And so Christ calls us to, instead of saying, what is it that I need to say, to instead ask the question, what is it that you need to hear? What is it that will build you up in your faith? Isn't that an amazing shift in thinking? It, it, it's so different from the way we approach speech today in our culture. And so we need to edify. We, we need to build up. What is it that I can say that's going to push you forward in your faith in God rather than bring you down? Uh, think about edifying types of speech. We talked about speech that's unwholesome. Let's think about the opposite. Let's think of a few examples. Uh, what about encouragement? Encouragement. It's the opposite of abusive language. Lifting people up, speaking a word that'll just keep somebody going. Boy, we need encouragement in our lives. Uh, look on the back of the sermon notes. <clears throat> look at the second quote down. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. We need encouragement so desperately in our lives. There's so much discouragement in the world. There's so much that goes against us. And it is, isn't it amazing how one little word of encouragement can keep you going for a month? How one little crumb of encouragement, just eating that, can fuel your soul for weeks and months. In fact, I was talking to a, a lady just a couple weeks ago, and she was telling me how a, a month before that, or a little more, she came off of serving on a committee in the church. And when she stopped serving on this committee uh, and sort of finished her term of service, this person who was on the committee just sent her a little card that said, hey, by the way, I really appreciate you and everything you did on the committee this year. And it's a month later, and we're sitting down talking, and we're not talking about that, but she brings it up. Oh, and so-and-so sent me this card. Oh, it's so great. I really appreciated that. It's like it's amazing how one little card a month later is still energizing this person to serve the Lord. And so that little word of encouragement you give, that little note you send, that little email with one or two lines saying, great job, I saw you doing this, I heard about that, you're doing great, that, that little word can fuel faith and can fuel service in such an amazing way. So blessed are the encouragers. I want to thank God for everyone who's an encourager in this church. The encouragement is a gift given to the body of Christ. As William Barclay says in his commentary on Hebrews, one of the highest human duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to laugh at men's ideals. It is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. Let us be encouragers, those who lift each other up. Another type of edifying speech or upbuilding speech is what we've uh, talked about a few weeks ago, is a rebuke. It's a different kind of speech. But, but a, what a rebuke is, just to cover our bases, remember what we talked about last time, it's, it's a corrective word spoken and encapsulated in love humility, kindness, and trust. It's me coming to you and saying, you know, I'm a little concerned about something. And sharing a, a corrective word, but in a spirit of humility and kindness. 
It's not quite um, constructive criticism. A lot of times constructive criticism is more criticism than construction. Uh, so, so this is really a word meant to build somebody up, but it, it's pointing out something that needs attention in their life. Again, look at your sermon notes on the back. Proverbs 9.8, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Or, of course, this famous one, Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I, I got a, a really good rebuke about two months ago. Uh, I was after a service and, and somebody was... Uh, talking to me and they were just sharing what God was doing in their life and sort of opening up their life to me and, and then they said, you know, there's something I'm really concerned about with you, Jeremy. I said, what's that? And they said, I'm concerned about this third worship service the church is going to be starting. You know, as some of you may know, this fall in September we're going to try to launch a third worship service in the evening. And the person just said to me, you know, I'm concerned you're going to fry yourself. The person said, I know you, Jeremy. You push hard, you're, you're an overachiever kind of person, you're type A, you push, push, push. And I'm concerned that you're going to start this service and you're just going to burn yourself out because you're going to just add one more huge thing into your ministry life and, and it's going to fry you. And I was like, yeah, that is how I am. I, I am the kind of person who's like, well, I might as well just do it myself. <clears throat> I'll do a better job anyway. <clears throat> you know, some of you are like that. You're type A, I'm, I'm type A, A, A. And I, I push myself hard and drive myself hard. And I needed this person just to say that to me. And so now the thing I'm doing in addition to planning for this third service is I'm trying to figure out what it is in my ministry task list each week that I'm going to cut out and not do anymore. And I have to say, this is extremely difficult for me. I love taking on new projects, but I hate giving up projects. And so now I'm thinking, like, what am I going to delegate? And I really appreciated someone pulling me aside saying, Jeremy, you are headed you know, personally into a dangerous place. You've got to take care of yourself. Because if I'm burned out, well, I'm no good to you, I'm no good to my family, I'm no good to myself. And so I needed that word of encouragement. But it was spoken with love, it was spoken with kindness, and with my best interests in mind. That's why we need the church community. I'll tell you what, I want to throw up every time I hear people talk about cyber church. That is an oxymoron. <laughs> there is no such thing as cyber church. This whole idea that, well, I can get church, I can read a sermon online, and then I go to my chat rooms and share prayer requests. That's not church. That's not community. Real community, we have to meet together. You need to see me, and I need to see you. I need to see how you interact with each other. And, and, and as, I, as we watch each other, that is the only way in which we build the kind of trust, community, and accountability so that we can share in each other's lives. It can't happen online. We have to meet with other believers face-to-face. And so we need this community of faith so that we'll have the permission and the knowledge and the insight to be able to say, you know, Jeremy, I hate to tell you again, but there's something you need to work on. And it's only as we live together as a body of Christ that we're able to do that. Because that's what real community in Christ is. So we need to encourage each other. We need to offer the timely, loving, humble word of rebuke at the right time. You've got to be very cautious with that and very prayerful. And then the, the third way that we can meet each other's needs with our words is, and the most important one, to speak Christ to each other. Because the greatest need that any person has, the greatest need that everyone has in this room is the same need that I have. We need Jesus Christ in our lives. And it is as we speak the Word of God to each other, as we share God's Word, that we're going to 
point each other to Jesus Christ. Just as grumbling points me away from God, so the Word, the Bible, points me toward Jesus Christ. I love what the Puritans used to say. They said the Bible was the swaddling clothes of Christ. When you open up the Bible, you're going to find Jesus inside. That's what we studied in chapter 4, verse, where was that? Verse 14. It says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Here it is. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. If we want to grow up in our faith into Christ, then we have to speak the word to each other. That's why we spend so much time on Sunday morning studying the Bible. It's not because we're trying to fill our heads with a bunch of information or that we're cerebral. The reason we spend so much time studying the Bible is because we believe that if we want to see Christ, we need to dig into His Word. And that it's in His Word that we will find Christ and we'll be built up. That's why we have our Sunday school teachers teach the Bible. That's why we have Bible studies. It, the, the whole point is that the Bible, not just is an information source so that I can have a bunch of trivia in my head, but it's so that I can meet Christ and hear what He has to say to me. It's through God's Word that God reveals His Son, Jesus Christ, to us. And we are all built up in our faith. Speak the word to each other. When you go out for breakfast or lunch today, wherever you go and hang out with each other, you know, talk about sports and talk about the weather and your plans, but also spend some time talking about the word. What did God speak to you about this morning? What was it that God was teaching you from the Bible this morning? And as you talk about the Bible together and share how God's applying it to your lives, God is going to do amazing things in you to build you up in your faith. The most edifying thing that you can say to any other person is the Word of God. To speak God's Word to them. To speak Christ into their lives. Boy, I had someone remind me of this last Sunday. It was awesome. Uh, l- last Sunday, I don't know if you were here, I was really I was like fired up preaching. I was, I don't know, I, I, was, I, I got done with my sermon. I was like <laughs> I was all you know, fired up and excited. I got to preach about Christ. I got to preach the gospel. I got to talk about how Jesus died on the cross for us. And I got done. I was just so happy about that sermon, just lifting up Christ. And, you know, I was all pumped up after. And I was talking to a bunch of people afterwards. And uh, just as we were about to break up, one of, the, one of the persons said, oh, by the way, Jeremy, great sermon. And everyone said, oh, yeah, great, great sermon. And I was like, yeah. You know, that's how I felt, too, that God was really speaking. And then this one person said, oh, Jeremy, you're great. We really appreciate you. And then this lady who was in the group, as everyone was breaking up, she walks by me. And just loudly enough so I could hear her, she held up her finger and she said, You know, Jeremy, you're not great. And then she said, But I love it when you talk about my Savior. And I thought to myself, Yes! Somebody gets it! That's exactly the point. Only Jesus Christ is great. Only Jesus Christ is great. No preacher, no nun or priest or Pope is great. There's only one Holy Father. There's only one Holy Son and only one Holy Spirit. Only Christ is great. And no man or woman should ever take that role. What makes a sermon great, I believe, is when the sermon lifts up Jesus Christ. And it's when people see Christ through the word preached. That's, in my mind, a great sermon. And you know what I think a great man or woman is? Whether it's a preacher or anyone else, is any person in whom we see Jesus Christ. That's what makes a person great. And I, and I think when people are talking to me saying great sermon, I, mean, I think that's what they were saying, 
is they're responding to what the Spirit was doing in their lives. But let me tell you something. If you ever want to compliment me on a sermon, you want to know the highest compliment you can give me? Is this. Just say, great sermon, Jeremy. I really saw Jesus. That's the best compliment you could ever give any preacher. Give that to Seth or anyone else or any Sunday school teacher. Great talk. I really saw Jesus. Because it's Jesus Christ lifted up before our eyes that will build us up in our faith. That's the whole point of preaching. It's the whole point of church. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what needs you have. I don't know what miserable failure you made in your life, what mistakes you've made, what, what sins you've committed. But I know one thing, that Jesus Christ is great. And that if you'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That if you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He can transform your life I don't know what hurts you've sustained in your life. I don't know how the world has, has failed you, how life has failed you. But I know Christ is great. And I know He will never fail you. So put your life in Christ's hands. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There was a great preacher in Philadelphia. Uh, his name was Dr. Conwell. He was a Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia for years. And he thundered great preaching ministry in fact, the whole city of Philadelphia respected him. He was Citizen of the Year one year because of his charitable work in Philadelphia. Um, and one of the things that uh, Dr. Conwell had was, was on his pulpit, he had a, a, a sign, and it said, we would see Jesus. So that every time he stepped up to the pulpit, he would see three things. He would see his Bible open, he would see the crowd of faces, and then he would see this sign, we would see Jesus. And so it reminded him every Sunday that his task was to speak Christ to these people because Christ is the only thing and the only one who can truly minister life to us. And so as you go out this week, you're going to meet all kinds of people. You're going to bump into people in your work or in your life who are struggling in their marriages, who are going through painful divorces. You're going to meet people this week who are uh, just found out that someone in their family has cancer. You're going to meet people this week who are out of work. You're going to meet people who are struggling with um, addictions and, and all kinds of struggles. And as you see those people, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would put up a little sign in front of your eyes that says, we would see Jesus. And that as you speak to those people, God might give you the opportunity to share the Lord Jesus Christ with them, knowing that it is only Christ who can truly save us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you alone are great, that you alone are awesome. God, I pray that your name would be lifted up this morning. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have a reorientation in our thinking so that we would, instead of thinking about our needs, we would focus on the needs of others. And God, I pray, change our hearts and our tongues so that as, as we talk to people, we might seek to meet their needs instead of our own needs. God, tune us into the needs of other people. Some of us have such a hard time getting beyond ourselves. Lord, liberate us from ourselves so that we can minister to others. And Lord, I pray this week that as we speak to people, as you bring different people into our lives, that we might be reminded to speak Christ to them, to share truth from your word with them, knowing that it is only Christ who is great. It is only Christ who is great. And only Christ can save lives and save souls. We pray this in his awesome name.